When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. Oh, it's so good to see you. Here we are in the new year, the new fear. Oh, so lovely. Uh, I am also super excited today because guess what, Joe? What? We have guests. We haven't had guests in forever. So this is super fun. It's a great way to kick off the year. And it's perfectly appropriate because today we're going to be talking about Scream 2 and the horror of, uh, you know, a college campus. And uh, I I think our two guests will have some familiarity with the horror (laughs) of what it's like to be dealing uh, with, you know, the university, uh, the university level concerns in a time like this. Uh, Please welcome back to the show, Connor and TJ. Yay. Actual Uh, real professors. Doctors. Doctors. I'm so sorry. That's true. Doctors. <laughs> on this episode of the doctors where we don't fat shame people or make them think or make them think that they're gonna die from something uh this is this is the oddly inclusive version of the doctors right here but uh, hi so, hi folks yes welcome welcome how are y'all holding up <laughs> maybe connor should take that first given that connor's just done an insane thing so uh yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like I just drove across the country in three days. Uh, <laughs> also, also feel feel bad, a little bad to have to report that everybody who can hear my voice will die of something eventually. Just, you know, hopefully it is not for a very long time, but... <laughs> but memento That was more. fucking dark, Connor. Well done. That was, well done. That was yeah. delightful. I know. I, <laughs> look, I just, I just spent, I just spent three days going, going from Northwest Ohio to Southern California in a cramped Toyota Prius. So, wow. so Bring no better time to it. reflect on your mortality, exactly. Um, as you drive through this nation. <laughs> yeah. Did Did you go like the South route? Like, did you drive through like Texas or like? Yeah, because that's so, how we when we drove because we drove out here from Ohio when we moved here, and that was kind of the path we took. Yeah, south into the Texas Panhandle, and then just all the way, all the way across from from West Texas to San Diego. Wow. Yeah. As a black person, I tend not to do that same route, but I understand. <laughs> I've done it, but when I moved back from Virginia, I was like, "How about Kansas?" Well, you know what? None of this is good, but we're just gonna go with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Yeah. It it's states not- did not exist in the antebellum South. And then <laughs> let's try through. <laughs> I'm just like, how about we avoid all of these? Just just every last one. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I was like, I left Virginia on a freedom journey and then tried to stay above the Mason-Dixon as hard and possible. Uh. I'm only staying with states that stayed in the union. The minute I left Virginia, I was like, here's my rule. No states that left the union. Nope. 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 My still on you, Indiana and Illinois. You still ain't good, but I see you. I see you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. Um. Colleges are nonsense. They're nonsense. Insane places right now. Mercifully, USD doesn't start back for another three weeks. We start back three weeks from yesterday. So um, everybody's plan is wishing, hoping, and praying. And yes. hoping that La Omicrona um, is is on the wane before then. But it will not be. So they're just going to hope for at least if a week or two that um, they won't have to go remote at all. But we'll see. I saw you share this like insane guideline. <laughs> it was that from the college, or did you get yeah. that from? No, it's from the oh college. Oh my gosh, I there's, love there's it. Like seven steps. So, like, <laughs> if you are right, do you quarantine or isolate? Have you been boosted? Have you just been vaccinated? Sometimes it's five days, but if you don't have symptoms, and I was just like, I was like, <laughs> I I made a flow chart while looking at it, and then I just instead had four shots of whiskey, and I feel yeah. like. That was that was a better choice. Yeah, it's nonsense. So, so a, ve- yeah. a, a very long time ago, when I used to work at USD, I remember trying to make a flowchart about some of the processes in place, and uh, it looked it, it might as well have said Jeremy Barramy. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> yes, because we do operate in the eye, which is never, and also the third week of July. So, and also Tuesdays. So. Oof. I do have to just say right now how excited I am, though, to chat about all this with you guys, because there are so many horrible things that I want to reveal about being 14 years old or 13 years old when this movie came out. <laughs> like, I just have to get this off my chest that if you had asked 14 year old TJ, um, uh, you know, when I turned 14, like a few months after this movie came out, um, what my favorite song was, I would have told you that it was She Said by Collective Soul, which is a song that is only available on this soundtrack. Um, <laughs> it is not... It's not on a Collective Soul album. They later put it in as a hidden track on Dosage the next year, but I was like, it's my favorite Collective Soul song. So when they played during the credits, I got so excited. I just like started rocking back and forth. I was like, this is too much. It took you all the way back to your teenage teenage year. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I love those kinds of things though. Like they're like the craft soundtracks like that for me, there's a bunch of songs that are on it that aren't available anywhere else. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so it's like, Oh, I have to kind of like dig it out and listen to it. Um, real quick though, before we get into, into the film, uh, TJ, your shirt, spiritual, but petty on any given day. That's delightful. I feel like people need to know, right? Like it's, it's more of like a warning label. It's like, you know, he seems very centered. Also he hurt my feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you You're know, Jesus basically. is your friend, but like every now and again, he goes, "TJ, and I'm just don't like, say that." I was like, <laughs> "You're doing the work of perfecting me, Savior, and it's not ready yet." So that's why she's trying. Function. It's um, a process. Abstract. Yeah. <laughs> Here is what you can expect. Should yeah. you continue? That's I feel like I feel like that T-shirt is describing the God of the Old Testament, like. <laughs> 
like spiritual but very petty on any given day he's like i'm sorry did well and also like when my favorite my favorite old testament story is still when the the teenagers made fun of the prophet elijah and he got so mad that he called he called on god and he god sent a group of bears out of the forest which then mauled them to death and i'm just like that's that's wild because also they just made fun of elijah for being bald they were like go on baldy and Elijah just is like, no, bears. And you know what? As much as I love a bear, uh, that was not it. That was not it for me. I'm always like, uh, petty, petty I God. love this. That is very dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I watched that um, Eyes of Tammy Faye film with Jessica oh, yeah. Chastain this week. Uh, and then I rewatched the documentary, the actual Tammy Faye, Baker, Mesner, whatever documentary. And I don't know, that shirt reminded me of that. I enjoyed the film. I've got a lot of thoughts on Tammy Faye, as I'm sure most people do. But mm-hmm. uh, the, the film was pretty good, you know, I guess, the acting and such. Anybody else catch it yet? See that I did. yet? Yeah, oh, you did? did. Yeah. It's yeah. good. I mean, it's sort of like, I, I feel like right now as I am aggressively staying, trying to like not be in social context, I'm trying to watch all of the things, right? And oh. so, yeah, I'm trying to be like, how would I not go outside for a lot of things? So I, I watched that along with like, Eight million other things. So I feel like- <laughs> uh, Speaking yeah. of which, I was thinking about you, TJ, when I was watching uh, the most recent episode of Wonder Years, and um, the mother was like, "You know, Jesus, keep me near the cross." I was like, as they played spades, I was like, "This show is black, and I am here for it." So black, and I watched, never watched that, and I was just like, I. <laughs> feel seen in ways that I wasn't prepared for. It's well, I've true. never seen anybody, and I've thought about them, like, I have never seen on media people playing spades. It's oh, always yeah. poker or yeah. some sort of, like, you know, white four-person game, but, like, it's I've true. never seen never seen never, never spades. It's true. Yeah, it's it's card discrimination. It's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> and... No and and in the sh- and and as someone I'm sure as someone who plays spades, when yeah. I'm watching the scene between the f- the the two couples and mm-hmm. the and the other guy plays, he breaks a spade, but it's like the king of spades. I was like, that's a terrible move. <laughs> Sorry, like, that is like, a terrible I, strategy. I was like, Sir, do, are you new? Like, yeah. yeah. Who I was you? like, oh, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we, we do have things. We do have other things to talk about. Uh, yeah. Speaking of blackness, Scream Two. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking, like, oh my gosh, how, like we're talking about the depiction of spades in media. Like, there seems to be like this is a very. Uh, <laughs> we need to be careful here now, Joe, yeah. with our with our conversation. all right so yes we are gonna we're gonna get kind of right down to it today uh with scream 2 which is obviously the follow-up to 1996 scream and you can go back and listen to episode 14 15 somewhere around there uh fright school in our very first season where we watched scream um although joe i think if you rewatched it now you'd probably even get more jokes out of it now than you did back then but that's not the point uh, the point is, is that this came out uh, just under a year after because like Scream did so well, they started working on this like right away and they got a film, they got it out in 97, uh, directed by Wes Craven, written again by Kevin Williamson. We've got all, most everybody returns who wasn't murdered in the first film. Uh <laughs> And, uh, you know, it follows up. It's supposed to take place two years after the original events of Scream. Everybody's gone to college and uh, little Sydney wants to be an actress. 
because uh, her life isn't dramatic enough. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of where we where we pick up. And of course, somebody starts murdering people again. And uh, Joe, we'll just start with your thoughts first, uh, as always, since you saw this for the very first time. When did you watch it? Um, I watched it in. The, I watched it last night. Um, and I watched it. I mean, I don't usually watch horror movies at night, but I was like, I don't know when I'm going to watch it the next day. So I'm, I'll watch it now. Um, it was, it was so much fun. Uh, I think scream is starting to be one of my favorite franchises. It's very self-aware. I love a meta conversation. Um, it reminds me, it, <laughs> it, it, it really weird to say this, but it reminds me a lot of, uh, cause I watched matrix resurrection, recently and so like there's this really cool meta thing that's happening in matrix resurrection as well that isn't cringy and actually kind of works um because it knows who the audience is um i did love that like all of a sudden in uh college jamie kennedy is cool now like and he has (laughs) you know that unfortunate like facial hair that's supposed to separate men from boys and all that um but yeah, it was it was a good it was a good time. I'm actually unprompted, and I don't know if we're gonna. You know, I don't know your plans. You don't share the syllabus with me, so um, I I'm probably gonna watch uh, three and four very soon because I I'm I'm now actually really looking forward to the new Scream that's coming out. So yeah, well, we're definitely gonna at your request and your suggestion. We are gonna spend January with the uh, Scream franchise. Probably January in the first episode of February will probably also be uh, Scream related. Uh, so yeah, we're just we're doing the deep dive into Scream, Joe. Uh, you know, I loved it. I love that idea that you had. So awesome. here we are. My rate, my professor works. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish you'd talk about Scream more. Well, here we are. Um. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I think we should just sort of dive right in. You're right, it's extremely meta. Uh, That's kind of the point of it. Like, Scream was already itself meta, kind of really kicked that off into, you know, into the 90s, and now, you know, everything's super meta. But this second one is even more meta. And interestingly enough, it actually has a better rating on on, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is very interesting. Um, But I, I do think it has some really, some stuff in it that is a lot more fun. Uh... So just like right away, it opens with, you know, the scene with uh, Jada Pinkett and Omar. Uh, what's his last Omar name? Epps. Yeah. Omar Epps. Love and basketball. And I love that because this, this film is 14 years before Horror Noir, the textbook, was published. That came out in 2011. And you kind of kick this off with a really great conversation about black horror and about the black horror experience uh, with Jada Pinkett, which I actually really love because Jada Pinkett is also credited as kind of one of the first black final girl. So for her to be making this comment, I'm just like, this is already like, you know, like we're off and running. So let's just, let's just get going. Um, who wants to start us off? Oh, so, okay. Connor, go ahead. <laughs> well, so everything that you just said actually sort of touches on a thing that I have to say has been on my mind for the better part of a year, because it was a thing I forgot to mention when we talked about urban legend and as soon as we stopped recording, I was like, oh, I like actually wrote a note to say this and then forgot because I forget everything. And it was that the thing that I particularly appreciate about all of the meta commentary in Scream that Urban Legend tried to do and failed at doing is that in Scream, sort of, it's very clear about the world that all of these people exist in and what else exists in that world. 
because one of the things that just irked me so much about rewatching Urban Legend when we, when we watched it to talk about it was that it sort of is the like so much of the commentary in Urban Legend is the actor Joshua Jackson is in this movie, but also is the actor Joshua Jackson who is on the show Dawson's Creek and hates the Paula Cole song that is the yeah. that is the. Uh, theme song for Dawson's Creek and like you as the audience are supposed to know that this college professor happens to also look like Robert England that you know was in Freddy Krueger but also Robert England is Uh. magically a professor like in the off season Uh, and Scream doesn't do that which is a thing that I have always I always really appreciated like they're not being like they don't spend a whole lot of time going hey remember that this person was also on Party of Five Mm. It's not that nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and the things that it nudge, nudges and winks, winks about like also helps set up the world that the movie exists in. And I think it was a thing that a lot of people who tried to copy Scream did a really bad job of because it Uh. wasn't, it was, it, it, it served to take people out of the world of the movie. Whereas like Scream does a really good job of keeping people in the world where all of this is taking place. And it was a thing that I think a lot of people, yeah, tried to do and failed because they didn't get it. See, I, it, so on, um, a, on a related note, Connor, when you're bringing up urban legend, like I was convinced up until the last like the big reveal, I was convinced um, that the murderers were Portia de Rossi and Ro- uh, Rebecca Gayhart. <laughs> I was convinced. Oh, <laughs> I was like, this is, this would be beautiful because I also had, I had seen Urban Legend before, so I knew that like there is that. And I was like, okay, well, maybe there's a thing. But then as it kept going on, and I'm like, okay, it makes more sense to have. Uh, the Laurie Metcalf of it all, the Timothy Oliphant of it all. And this was also a veritable who's that of the late nineties as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Before they're big, like it's like where they're sort of bubbling under in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, but it was also, and I'm curious to hear um, TJ's thoughts about this, but it was a lot of, I feel like this was like a lot more, black representation in terms of like performers that were in it there was a lot of (laughs) there was like the cameraman was classic was like the cameraman could have been credited as nope cameraman (laughs) yep (laughs) all joel yeah poor joel yeah because he was just like i ain't trying to get killed for you white lady right Um, I, I did appreciate like some of the subtle nods of like David Schwimmer's playing Dewey and you know <laughs> this is a Courtney Cox that her fame is from like I completely forget that she's Monica because she's so she's also like very tonally different she's got red highlights now she's she's a oh, different those Gail chunky Weathers. highlights oh. did you also catch the other friends reference right where her nudes were shared but it was her head on Jennifer Aniston's body it's a great throwaway <laughs> line. Oh, I love it. They're like, the pastor knew. She's like, it was just my head. It was Jennifer Aniston's body. And I was just like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a history of the 90s. It is interesting for black representation. I mean, and I could I could talk about this for forever, right? It's like, it's and one of the things that I do want to talk about is that Scream is the cleverest meta show, meta movie, right? It, it invented in many ways, right? In the, in, the, in the quintessential 90s irony, right? Where they're like, we do this because we're hyper aware in a way that like, other then it gets you know done to death in certain ways right but it was it's weird to tell people that in 1996 and 97 this was fresh 
right? And it was, it was fresh. Mm-hmm. Like that's why Scream was so good, the original, because it was so self-referential and really did reinvigorate the genre in some ways, right? But interestingly enough, so this is when you have white people writing about this, right? So they're allowed to write about this and they're writing about the fact that they're, you know, the lack of black people in the first movie, right? Which is which is interesting, right? It is, a, it is a moment of saying like, hey, we did this movie, it was Lily White, we like many of the other movies, and so we were going to rectify this by having Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett Smith talk about this, right? right. Um, and then be murdered, <laughs> right? Very quickly, right? Um, in a way that like cements them as sort of like Drew Barrymore status, but at the same time, ultimately completely undermines all of the points that they're sort of making too, right? Like one of the things that is really important to point out is that ironic racism or ironic racial exclusion is still both of those things. Um, and so when you're ironically commenting mm-hmm. on this, right, there's, it's still happening. And so name checking, it doesn't necessarily help. There's also something that, that in 97 is doable. That isn't, I think as much now in 2022, Jesus, 25 years later, it's very confusing or it's it's cringy to watch the idea of the murder of black people literally for the entertainment of an almost exclusively white audience. Because literally her death is an entertainment for all of them, right? And I, I mean, which is what horror movies are, right? But, but in that level, it's sort of like when we watch it now, it's like, oof. Um, although she wins for most, I think, wonderfully dramatic death scene in the whole movie. <laughs> Oh, Most you mean when she does a literal death drop, like on the knees? I was like, "Bish." Um, but the other thing, like, what we are going to talk about this is like, there's some weird, shitty horror racism here that happens in this movie, right? Like, they explicitly refer to the again. There's there's a category of never aging '90s black actresses. Elise Neal is one of them, right? Elise Neal as the quintessential. 90s movie stereotype as the cool black best friend. I feel Gabrielle Union was busy that day. Um, So they had to, you know, swap her in. Or she was maybe filming 10 Things I Hate About You, which came out, you know, almost at the same time. So it's like, but um, they refer, then when they're trying to guess who the the killer is, right? At one point, there's this argument there, you know, the uh, Derek and um, one of the other characters are arguing about, well, maybe it's Hallie. And they specifically refer to her as Candyman's daughter. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And they specifically do some very pretty. And they're like, they're, they're, and they, they say, first off in the meta way, they're like, well, would break the mold. Cause you know, serial killers are always white. And they're like, but maybe it's Candyman's daughter. And they make some reference to her being like sweet. So there's also like this weird, like, like fetishization, even as they're being aware of it. Like right. it's, it's, it's this moment where there are black characters who are there, but almost with the exception of Hallie, none of them actually intersect with the narrative. Right. And mm-hmm. Hallie is only there as her college friend. Right. Like Joel is there. And what I love so much is that Joel is there through his nopeness. Right. Joel is like, white people, what are all of you doing? Also yeah. one of the many, I mean, one of the things I love that I will say about this that I love as a black watcher is that I love, love, love that they point how we watch movies. So I love the entirety of Jada Pinkett Smith yelling at the film, telling them not to do things. I was like, yes. And then Elise Neal does the same thing later where she was like, Sydney, don't go, don't go back to that car. We can leave. Right. Don't, don't go back to that car. But of course, in true fashion, who pays for it? Not right. Smart people <laughs> is what she said. She said, smart yeah. people run. We're smart people. Let's go. Yeah. And then, and I was like, damn, that like, she is really, I mean, like maybe Sydney deserves to die. 
I mean, well, I again, it is who pays for white ignorance, you know, right. who pays, who right. pays for white, willful white ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to go back uh, just real quick, cause I wanted to yeah. drop this thing. Cause I was watching Alonda Parker on YouTube. She did a, a video reacting to this. It was hilarious because during the Pinkett's uh, Jada's um, death scene, uh, she's like, I do not appreciate this metaphor for what it's like to be a black woman in America right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's a great quote. And then I was it's also really thinking, you know, true. this is, just a couple of years after the OJ Simpson trial. And, and we have right. this whole conversation about media complicity in, in horror in real life horror and like how stories get told, how, you know, things get said and, and, you know, how we were all just like glued to our televisions, you know, with, and it wasn't, it was about him and not about the fact that two people were murdered, regardless of how you feel. Like, I don't want to get into like an OJ no, conversation no. necessarily, but you know, like at the center of it, like, these people were brutally murdered. Some, somebody did it, you know? <clears throat> so it's just like, I, I, I like that kind of awareness that I, I feel is happening in this, you know, where they all do sit around, they watch this terrible thing happen. Obviously plenty of us, it, we we're coming up in this time right now of, of having these conversations uh, continuously, con- mm-hmm. constantly, it seems. Yeah. Um, so I just really appreciated her comment. Cause I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, and now it's like a daily occurrence and it's tr- truly horrifying. And I also <laughs> but appreciated, I can't. I was just going to say, I, I also appreciated that there was another part of the movie that is at least commenting on how there are folks who build their whole careers on like capitalizing on these things. And that like Courtney mm-hmm. Cox's character is the, is the person who is, you know, who, yeah, who has made a career off of like exploiting the things that have happened to people and is sort of the, and in some ways is coming back for, you know, more cause the career needs a bump now. Yeah. It's her whole identity. Like they pick up the phone. Who is this? Gail Weathers, author of the Woodsboro murders. Who's this? <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> who, who does that? <laughs> Just she also know. like, it, it's like, I mean, I think now if we were to if we were to do this now, right, Gail Weathers would be some sort of like she wouldn't have a cameraman. She'd be on her phone with like mm-hmm. the yeah. with like the the <laughs> steady that like shoving into people's faces. She would kind of be like Infowars almost. Um, those people who who report for them because she's she's approaching the scene as like an author and not necessarily as like a journalist, right? Or like I mean, in 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 the sense that she's like beholden to a news outlet because she identifies so strongly as I'm the author of this and like I'm here to pro- to provide the story. Um, mm-hmm. I did love how <laughs> I, I think this is also like easily probably one of the more quotable films. Period, but like definitely more quotable films. Um, this is something you would show to like a group of like high school kids and like the jokes that would come from this would take them all the way through college and be things that you would, they would talk about in the toast at their weddings. Um, when she like yells at Lori Metcalf and she's all like, no local woman. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> Amazing. Fantastic. Um, I, I <laughs> can we talk about like, can we just talk about like the, the like pretentiousness of like this play about Cassandra, uh, like the fall of Troy and all like, did we, I was like, wow, you, we need all of this. Don't we? Like, I didn't. Yeah. Understand. 
yeah, go please yeah. go for it. No, I, I have a whole thing. I wasn't sure when it would come up, but you know, I was I was ready for it. So it's the Arrestia, Arrestia. It's a three act uh, or a three play. It's a trilogy, and so the piece they're doing is most likely Agamemnon, and uh, from from what the uh, the the dialogue is, uh, which over uh, I like this because it's um, a running theme in the play. Uh, trilogy is murder and revenge. Clytemnestra kills Agamemnon for sacrificing their daughter and having an affair. And Orestes, their son, seeks revenge for his father's death and mother's affair by killing Clytemnestra. In this movie, Mrs. Loomis is seeking revenge from Sydney for the death of her son, who killed Sydney's mother for having an affair with his father. So the climax of the film about familial murder and revenge plays out on the set of a play about familial murder and revenge. So again, it's just this like, look how smart we are. We're so meta. <laughs> Like, like, you know, Sydney, it's not by her hand, you know, it's not her will. It's just fate that she's this uh, attracting all this horrible murder attention, you know, and, and on top of it, it's like the whole familial thing. So yeah, I, I didn't know when we would talk about that because I didn't know when we wanted to talk about Lori Metcalf as, as the murderer, which is just delightful to me. It makes me even more sad that I never got to see her play Annie Wilkes in Misery because I think she'd be really awesome. She did it with uh, Bruce Willis on was it off Broadway? On, on Broadway. On it Broadway. was on Broadway. Yeah. So sad. I never got to see that because I just, uh, man, I just know I want to see her play more like villainous. I mean, she was serving awful. eyes for days. Like she was just like completely wide. eyed I also didn't like one thing I didn't appreciate because I thought it was, I, I, I there, you can't like, I think we're, I think I'm like ruined by Get Out, right? Cause like when you watch Get Out for the first time, you don't pick up on anything. It's the second watching of Get Out where you see that like everything is very, things are foreshadowing, but like they, they play out and it's not really foreshadowing. So like when Lori Metcalf reveals herself and, and Sydney is like, oh, Mrs. Loomis, it doesn't make sense to me because it's like, okay, we didn't really get any sense of that and then gail was like i researched this book and it's like yeah because she doesn't like you know she would have to not know what she looked like do you know what right. i'm saying it would be really is really fascinating so uh, i wasn't on board with that but again like that's just a function of like writing at the time um of it um i also love like um the word the name cassandra does mean prophet of doom i always mm-hmm. like bringing that out every time we talk about this um <laughs> And any have, excuse- was there other stuff about the play? Like what? Like what was the reason that you? It, it, it was just like so. It was like I, I mean, like it was like. Are, is she like the Phantom of the Opera? Because she's like chucking, like she's like uh, cutting down the 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 various rope to like release wires and 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 different scaffolding lights, all that stuff. Um, she like is <laughs> she when she grabbed the like thunderclap to do it right before she flipped the toggles like she's about to resurrect Frankenstein's monster like it was just so bananas it was so out like histrionic and just very big but I'm like at the same time like if you feel like anything to distract the killer right anything to create that big moment um and then when and Joshua thank you I really appreciate that comment about the Oristaya because um it, this is my chance to just say that like my favorite name in the Oristaya is uh, the daughter of Agamemnon Euphigenia <laughs> which is go. also the name of Mrs. Doubtfire Euphigenia or she it's says true. Euphigenia but this is just <laughs> random <laughs> trivia say things for shit you're right yeah. I just sat there thinking like, man, I hope that this uh theater department has a big budget cuz she just like well, destroyed 
<laughs> I mean, you know, obviously trying to say you know, that season is closed, right? Clearly, <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. not going to be doing that show. <laughs> that play's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. I could think, I could think that I was like, well, at least we all know the play will not happen because popular Derek was literally murdered on set. So they're going to be like, well, we can't do this. I, I'm not entirely sure about that. Having talked to some people who are at schools where the theater departments have been the ones who are like, absolutely not. We will still be in person and we will be doing the production uh, of probably oh my God, not you're so even, right. probably not even anything from Agamemnon, but uh, <laughs> I, this I, is this, guys and dolls. We are taking this very seriously. <laughs> Do you have any Not idea? Not business without really trying. We all have to this watch it now. This is a commitment. This is a commitment. Do you have any idea how much Sorry. of our production budget we spent getting buttholes on these cat suits? You right. Bless. Cats on cats on cats. Oh, my God. See, this is why, like, <sighs> this is what I love about Broadway modeling that sometimes the show doesn't go on. Like... <laughs> Sometimes, I mean, the show must go on, like, sometimes is a nice spiritual thing. But sometimes, you know, in the in the midst of, like, a viral respiratory pandemic, perhaps the show where you're, you know, you know, and I am telling you, I am not going <laughs> to the show. I am not going. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I feel like so, you have a, a bazillion dollar marketing opportunity to pitch that to Broadway as a, like, look, the show will go on when it's safe. Yeah, exactly. The show's going to go on, but like, you know, y'all, you can wait to see Patti Lapone like, sing. You can, you can wait. And, and they're showing that right now, so. Well, good for Broadway being the responsible leaders this country needs. Well, think of, <laughs> but think about it, though. Like, if Broadway was still going on, like, it, it, it would be, like, can you imagine, like, some... <laughs> the like the theater in like Chula Vista or like Poway or you know like one of our like more like smaller community theaters here in the county that are just like well we're gonna we're gonna continue with our production of you know Pump Boys and Dinettes you know fuck the <laughs> fuck the fuck like uh, Broadway's whatever or the show must go on I'm like mm, okay. <laughs> Anyway, uh, uh, right, we've so, been derailed. I apologize. No, yeah, it's all, yeah, this is the, it's it's delightful. I did so something else. I did want to talk about, especially since we have you know our doctors here, um, and all of us are on university campuses all the time. Uh, I'm curious because we talked a little bit about with like urban legend, you know, like the particular horror of like a college campus. I just want to throw that out there to the group and discuss like, you know, what, what you think of this film in regards to, uh, to that. Uh, Cause I remember seeing this, you know, when it came, I, I probably saw it either in late 97 or early 98 and kind of thinking that that's what college would be like, not the murder, but that the, just, that's what it would look like. I'd be accosted by like Greek, you know, life stuff and that it would, you know, and like my, my first college was a community college that did not look like that. It looked like, is it Pharrell's house? Is it Pharrell that has the, it looks like City College. Was it him that was selling? Anyways, never mind. Oh, you're absolutely right. And it was his house. Yep. And it did look yeah, like a City it's like, community that's College. Like, yep. Yeah, the colleges I first went to were like, looked like that. They weren't some like classic, you know, but that's just, that is such an image, you know, that's pervasive in like horror, these like pillars and old, you know. Anyway, so let's 
see where this conversation takes us. <laughs> Do we know where it was filmed? Because like that library, they film a lot of stuff in that library. I feel like they've used the dining hall and the library for sure. I know the dining hall I've seen in um, social network uh, the Fincher film about Facebook. The library is definitely from um, the politician. Uh, so, so, because it's like it's that whole thing of like it. It feels like a private. It feels like a private like school, like maybe like a boarding school of some sort. So they filmed it. it definitely at, does. They filmed it at Agnes Scott College in Atlanta, but there. Oh, are, in Georgia. Yeah, but yeah. there are other parts of it that were filmed at UCLA. Um, you can tell, but. Yeah. But yeah. the set in Ohio. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, but they were all supposed to represent oh, a sorry. fictional school in Ohio. So I was like, and I've I've been to all of those places, and I was like, none. They don't look alike. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> yeah, it looks like she's clearly supposed to be like some generic Oberlin-like school, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, I've gone to I've gone to Ohio school, right? Like, <laughs> and, I, and I will I will definitely say that the the college town that i just moved out of is definitely a place where someone would say like what what do you want local woman yeah oh yes <laughs> i mean when i was yeah bowling green would 100 percent say that um oh, yeah. uh, even when um even when i was in uh uh virginia like every now and then i'd be like oh hello local person mm-hmm. thank you <laughs> Thank you for this. I mean, I did frequently feel like I was Belle from Beauty and the Beast for all the good and bad reasons. <laughs> Little town, quiet village. But like you're wearing your no poncho. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just little like... town full of little people waking up to say, hey, y'all. We're sued. Yeah. We're sued. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Lots of people um, thinking the... you're a weirdo for reading. I mean, yeah. Africa. Why are you studying Africa? No reason. It's just my favorite Toto song. That's why. (laughs) Africa is nowhere near here. Okay. That's right. What was I going to do? Major in Rosanna? I think not. We're going to focus on Africa. Although France is not, or what is it? The Eiffel Tower is not in the woods. Correct. You better better draw France right. Um, Right. Yeah, uh, so uh, so it's funny, right? Because like I, I I feel like the '90s, this movie in particular, but many other movies from the '90s, and even I mean Porky's and Revenge of the Nerds in the '80s as well. Um, like we get that conception of like college is Greek life, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like which is one of the. I mean, I haven't watched it, but but I know I think it's I think it's Dead Man on Campus mm-hmm. with. Um, uh, where I don't know if there's Mark, a Greek Mark situation there, but it's yeah, Mark Paul and um, uh, Indonesian actor actor Mark Paul Gosler. <laughs> sorry, I was, I, that was just for TJ. I saw I read I read this. Uh, sorry, quick quick sidebar. I read this BuzzFeed list of like the actors that you don't know are mixed race, and like right, number one is Mark Paul Gosler. Mark Paul Gosler and KJ Apa are all the two where I'm like, I understand how the Pacific works, but I also understand how whiteness works. It's yeah. like, do you understand how colonialism works, sir? Like, like this, this also right. I'm like he's very Pacific Islander, and I'm like, what? Yeah, what? Give, given, a, given, given, <laughs> given, Buzz, given a BuzzFeed's track record, it, they may not. Yeah, they may, yeah. They may not. <laughs> 
But but like Greek life is like such that intrinsic thing. And so like for me, when I was going to college, I like I had no desire to do any of that. So often I kind of questioned what like the quote unquote college experience was. Plus, like, you know, my personal things was like I was a transfer student. So I went to community college and transferred over. So like I did I did like my first two years at Pharrell's house and then moved on over (laughs) to um to the the quote unquote real university, um, right? That's, it's my favorite scene in a in episode of uh, of uh, Modern Family when Luke is applying for college for a community college, and then the counselor's like, "Well, based on your credit score, we can offer you." <laughs> And then you can, and then they say, uh, and at the end, she's like, this is a real school, um, you know, and in, in a little bit, you can transfer to a real four year. <laughs> Cause like, I feel like unironically people in higher ed also correct themselves, mm-hmm. uh, in that way too. But for the two, for our two professors here, um, and especially, you know, also because Connor not only taught, like he taught a class about college in media, <laughs> Yeah. as well like can we let's talk a little bit about like um about like this idea of like greek life uh in in terms of college because it comes up a little bit in other horror movies but i just don't know where we get that so if if we want to unpack all of that um it, it's one of the things that kind of go, it, it is it is one of the touchstones of movies about college like i think one of i think i think it might actually be the first college movie uh, which came out, if I'm remembering right, because I'm not teaching this class so I'd, uh, for a while, so I don't have to do the course prep for a bit, but uh, was like <laughs> in 1927. And even then, like there were already sort of fraternities and like playing a big role in, uh, in the student experience. And especially if this is supposed to represent like an Oberlin or some other like archetype of a small-ish midwestern you know elite type school you know the the long history of u.s higher education is sort of that like greek life is a really big 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 part of that um it also makes me wonder and this isn't a thing that i've looked into but sort of more broadly uh a lot of what people put into their movies about college can tell you a lot about what that person's college experience was so it makes me wonder if the person who wrote the movie or like the people who were involved in production were really involved in uh greek life uh i also think that knowing that the film is set in ohio and that it's supposed to be at like an overlinny type of place that the two big pieces of student involvement that there are is theater and greek life because that is very much mm-hmm. Like what a lot of people think of at schools like that is that there are the Greek people and the theater people. And, and that is the entirety of the student body and the only things that anybody gets anything out of. Hmm. Whatever yeah. that was, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I think my phone decided that it wanted to make a sound for no reason. And I was like, that's disrespectful. Um, it was like, I also want to be on the sports. Shut up. Um, I think what's super wild for me is I agree with that kind of right. Is that I, I went to UCSD for my bachelor's and master's, which is literally the opposite of Greek life, right? Where it was like, hello, we understand that there are people that do Greek life, go into the corner, Um, right? It was like the sense of like, on the rest of development where they're like, here's your free speech zone. Um, uh, Like (laughs) over here, right? It was, it was so marginal to the UCSD experience, right? It was, it was sort of like, I went to college expecting 
all of these cliches as well. My, my cliche that, that governed the way that I thought college was going to be like was the TV show Felicity. And I was mm-hmm. like, none of this is, no, this is disrespectful. And I also cut my hair and no one cared. Um, uh, but like this sense of, <laughs> I was like, it was not traumatic. No one cared. Um, uh, uh, but then, then I did my PhD at um, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And so here's the weirdest thing is that I went to a school that had one of the lowest participations in Greek life in the nation and then went to the school that actually numbers wise has the largest percentage of Greek life participation in the country. And it was deeply confusing to suddenly be on a campus where everything looked like in like an antebellum mansion, but they were just frat houses from the 1880s. And like, and they, and it was literally all of the cliches, right? Like the signs, the shirtless playing of like, um, of beanbags, which they called cornhole. I was like, look at all these frat boys cornholing outside. That's a bold choice. Um, means lots of things where I come from. Um, but like all of that, right? Like the huge um, football culture and the and the Greek life. And then I got hired at my first job, which was a small liberal arts college in rural Virginia, Washington and Lee, which has the largest percentage of Greek life participation in the country. So 87% of the student body are involved in a fraternity or sorority at Washington. And so I was just like, what? Like, so for someone who went to like none of that, right. To then suddenly see it as like the quintessence of how people identified was wild. It was like, it was like watching college on TV. Right. It was like, it was like going to a big, a, a big Midwestern state school and then going to a small liberal arts college were both the cliches of what college was because they don't, UCSD is like the exact opposite of like what college is depicted anywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. It is, it's sort of, it's, it's beautiful location, but it's not the sort of like social things that people have depicted. So it was very strange um, to be in both of those instances. And it was fun for me to rewatch this movie and be like, Oh Yeah this is what people imagine college is. It's nonstop frat parties and um, weirdly non-structured class discussions with smug knowledge professors. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, as a smug knowledge professor tracks, but still like um, was a, it was a weird sort of moment to watch all that. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I went to a, I did my undergrad at a small liberal arts college on the East coast. uh, But that, explicitly forbade there to be Greek life. They were, they were like, absolutely not. There is not, there will never be. Um, which they had some sort of like philosophical connection to the mission of the university. But I'm like, I wonder if this just makes your liability insurance go down. Hmm. Could also be I mean, when it, like study when you get right down to it, that's function. I'm like, there's gotta be a, yeah, there's gotta be a practical reason for this too. Um, yeah, because so, it's a nightmare uh, at SDSU all the time. There's always some crazy thing going on. Yeah, it's true. I used to live across the street from a bunch of those, and got to and would get woken up by the blue and the blue and red lights often. Um, yeah, so uh, I remember a lot of people sort of thinking like, "Oh, yeah, small liberal arts school in the Northeast. Like, we should we're going to go there, and it's going to be you know." it's going to be like animal house. And then first thing they say in orientation. So there's no Greek life here. And people are like, huh? Um, so yeah, it was very much not a part of my experience. And then being somebody who's worked at college campuses and then for a while was a professor of how higher education works to, you know, sort of realize how baked into a lot of the history of higher education, Greek life is and how my experience is so not the norm. 
uh, when yeah. for me, like that there are no fraternities is very normal. It makes a lot of sense to me. Right. Like, why would there be? <laughs> right. Yeah. And what was weird for me too, is like when I got to Washington and lean, like going back to what Connor's saying is the integral nature of fraternities became readily mm-hmm. apparent because Washington and Lee, as for, you've heard me talk about this before, if you've been on the show or you've been talking about it, but like I often refer to where I worked as Confederate Hogwarts, right? It was like the ultimate <laughs> sort of like Southern institution, right? Robert E. Uh. Lee is buried on the campus, right? Like it is, um, it is the quintessence of sort of a very particular, it was an all boys school until 1985, right? Um, and so the sense of a particular type of white, raced masculinity for that school. And so it should not be shocking that three fraternities, three national fraternities were all founded at Washington and Lee. Right. Wow. Uh, and so it's really weird. Cause I have to pass, like when I would walk on campus too, I would pass all of their like founding markers. Right. Like, and they're the terrible ones. Right. So SAE and some of the others are like specifically, <laughs> and, and one of them has a, you know, Southern, you know, like gentility ball every April where they have to wear, you know, full gone with the wind attire, super, they don't understand why they can't recruit for minority students. Wow. But like thinking about the integral nature of like white supremacy and toxic masculinity. And like, so when people say things like, I really wish that we could get rid of some of the unseemly toxic masculinity in Greek life as if they were not co-constitutive, right? As if they were not literally (laughs) like about ways to teach people how to maintain an aggressive and restrictive sort of power, right? So, which we can even see going back to Escrim, right? Grito, dos. Um, Like when we see this film, like we see the weird dynamics of like the sort of sexuality that's happening there, the weird way in which they have to enact this sort of particular violence on uh, Jerry O'Connell's body, um, the things that he has to act out there. And yes, Joe, I did say grito dos. I said grito dos, yes. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, but- I really, I really appreciate that, TJ, because one of the things that I was thinking about, and I know that, like, I know that things can't be all things to all people, but I kept finding myself thinking, like, oh, you know, like they're doing a really good job of like skewering the tropes of sequels. This would also be a really great place to skewer the tropes of a movie set at a college. Like, I would have really loved if someone had like leaned over to Ned Campbell and been like, "Can you believe that parties like this still happen?" Mm-hmm. Right, uh, just or you know, like some any other thing, but like, or even if someone was just like a Greek party, really. Right. Yeah. Like, what's more cliche? Yeah. Especially because, like, that's like something perfect for Sydney. Like, mm. she would have no interest in that. Like, right. no, I've had enough toxic masculinity bullshit in my life. I've already survived. Like, you know, there's so much like stuff in my life that is because of the pressures put on women to like be certain ways. Like, no, I'm just here to do my thing. So that would have been a nice conduit to have some of that conversation. And this is not, Uh, this is not a thing that I would have expected the movie to pick up, but I have to give a a shout out to my former department chair, Pat Pawkin, because we always used to have this conversation about all of the FERPA violations that take place in animal house. And Oh, sure. But I was like, but, but then I, I said, well, but here's the thing, because like, Animal House came out after FERPA was passed, but all of the people who wrote Animal House went to college before FERPA was a thing. Right. And similarly, right. um, all of the people involved in the production of Scream went to college before the Cleary Act was a thing, but this right. movie came out after the Cleary Act was passed. So there is like a lot of this stuff wouldn't have happened because of the Cleary Act. <laughs> 
Right. Okay, for- they would have been like, that child was murdered, and you need to know that that child was murdered. Right. Okay, for okay, quick and dirty explanation for the non-higher ed folks ca- oh, right. on FERPA and Cleary. <laughs> Sure. Uh, FERPA is you can't talk about people's educational records with anybody other than that person without their expressed written permission. Um, and in, and so that's like why they don't post the grades on the bulletin board anymore, among other things. But that's like the quick and dirty version of FERPA. Uh, and it was passed in 1972, which is like the year that every law about higher education was passed. If anybody's ever trying to right. win higher edu- education jeopardy, the answer is probably 1972. Um, oh, it's title blank. It's always title something, 1972. Yep. <laughs> yep. And then um, uh, the Cleary Act, uh, named after Jean Cleary, who was a student at Lehigh University who was um, assaulted and murdered in her residence hall room. And uh, her parents uh, sort of argued that uh, she would have made different choices about how she sort of like went to school and whether or not she chose to lock her door, if she had known that there had been a series of break-ins, assaults um, in the area leading up to that evening. And so through that sort of lobbied, had the Cleary Act passed, which I think the technical name for it is the Buckley Amendment, but it's more commonly known as the Cleary Act, um, the Gene Cleary Act. And uh, it basically is the reason that colleges have to tell people all of the time when crime happens and what kinds of crimes, and they have to report it federally. And their ability to access federal financial aid is tied to their compliance for it. Uh, that's the quick and dirty version. Uh, Connor, wow. it's also for Cleary. It's also like not just crimes that are happening on campus, but like oh. within a certain proximity to the campus, right? Yeah, so, I like mean, if if a house gets broken into across the street, then we still get notified that hey, someone broke into a house across the street, right? Yeah, and. And it's and even more beyond that, it is sort of sort of things within proximities to any university property. So like San Diego State has property all over San Diego. So anytime anything happens within proximity to anything that San Diego State owns, that's got to go in the Cleary information. And as college campuses become sort of more expansive and take over and take over more and more property across, you know, right. valuable, valuable yeah. Uh, bits of land uh, it gets super interesting and complicated wow so yeah that, uh, look at that we're, we're, see you come here for the education folks you know right? like you stay for the the, the, the nonsense and the ridiculousness that sometimes happens Joe uh, but you're, you're you're here for the education <laughs> Well, I was I was just about to I was just about to say if if Washington and Lee is Confederate Hogwarts, then TJ, are you repl- are you planning to return to like break open the coffin to steal the wizard's <laughs> like to steal his wand? Like, because I, I was like, I totally see like a T a Voldemort like you know the the no Poncho <laughs> hovering. Uh-huh. You you keep your same nose. Because you don't want the you don't want the Voldemort nose, and right, then you know exactly you break it open from his cold dead hands, and you have now claimed the Elder Wand. I or, mean, first off, the Elder Wand is definitely the title of one of our sex tapes, and I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, more importantly, one of the fun things that I used to do every year um, when I was at Washington and Lee is that um, on October 12th every year I would take a selfie in front of Robert E. Lee's grave because that's the day in 1870 that he dropped dead on campus as the president. And so I always like to make sure that he was still dead. 
Um, and then one year, my final year in 2017, 2018, that year, I was in New Zealand um, on a research trip. And so my students took a selfie in front of the grave for me. And that's how I knew that some of the kids were all right. And that's it, awesome. Yeah. You are, also, you are there. doing God's work to professor Tally. That's it. It's it. They were like, Professor totally. Tally, here's a picture of us in front of his grave. And I was like, I love everything that just happened. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I do appreciate the conversation about like horror on university campuses. Cause again, like when we think about some of the earliest, like slasher, like the, you know, the foundation for it, like black Christmas that takes place on, you know, that's mm-hmm. a college campus. So it's something that's just really permeated a lot of uh, our culture is sort of mm-hmm. like, you know, you leave your small safety of your small town and like now you're out in this world and look at all the horrible things that can happen to you. Um, and, and one of the, you know, so, one of the things about, um, that's actually been a theme in college movies sort of since there have been college movies, because like one of the first ever college movies was also a horror movie set at a campus. It was came out in, I think 35 it's called 13 women. Um, but so much of how we understand like movies about college is also about like the dangers of college environments for women and particularly white women. Um, because like even going back to 13 women, it is all about like a woman who's rejected from a sorority who then like seeks revenge on the people who rejected her from participating in an elite society. Um, and right. so to sort of to tie in sort of this idea with the thing we were talking about before that like, yeah, it's and, and it's a thing that always makes me wonder when I see a movie about college is like, so are because the other place that people pull sort of the imagery of college in their movies is, well, have you seen all of the other movies about college? So like how much of Greek life that we see on film is because, you know, as something I said before we started recording was like, because how many generations of people watched animal house on dinner in a movie. And is that the thing that like the expectations that people go to campus with expecting that's what Greek life is going to be like, which some of it absolutely is. And I've worked on enough college campuses where places have been thrown off, thrown off campus mid year to say, yes, like animal house stuff absolutely does happen. And also there are lots of other fraternities and sororities and other Greek organizations that do things very differently and are very intentional about sort of not being that way because there are, there are absolutely opportunities for it to happen. And this isn't me, like Greek life doesn't need me to cape up for it, but, um, (laughs) but I sort of wonder like how much of it is just another, like a snake that eats its own tail that like, well, we saw animal house. And so then we made another movie where there's a Greek system. And so we just made it like animal house. And which also, I guess is interesting to say in a movie where the motivations for one of the killers is that the movies made me do it. Yeah, exactly. Very, very good point. And uh, yeah, it also just that's just it perfectly sets up drama. You know, like in Black Christmas, it's like the girls, like they comment on the other houses. Oh, you know what the girls are like in that house? So like the boys in this house are this way. The girls are that, you know, there's relationships. It just it kind of perfectly sets up like drama of a film uh, and particularly in horror of mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, we're going to go to this party with these, you know, crazy assholes. Like, so of course, one of them may be a murderer or <laughs> or it also provides the perfect opportunities to like have big parties where somebody gets murdered. It adds to like the confusion of who do we think is the killer. 
uh, at least within horror. Other films, I, I don't know. I, I felt very much when I was growing up, I, I had people and I had mentors that were into Greek life and they would really defend it because I would see movies. I'm like, that, I'm not interested in that. Like, no, I don't want nobody trying to kidnap me. Right. I don't want anybody to try. Like, I'm just not about that kind of like prank bullshit hazing nonsense so i'd be, be like i have no interest and like no it's it's about like service and doing good works so i'm like is it the films tell me otherwise <laughs> that's what the catholic church says and <laughs> um <laughs> i you talk about my employer like that also yes <laughs> oh my gosh oh that's hilarious <laughs> Oh my um, God. That's about service, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, I, you ain't dunking me service in no water. To whom? <laughs> yes, right. to whom? Um, Who are I, we servicing? <laughs> I, I, I kind of, I, I don't know if we're gonna, I don't know if we're gonna wrap up, but I want to bring this thought because when we were having this conversation about um, Timothy Oliphant's character and his whole like big like manic expo- manic expository uh, that he's giving about like how he's basically going to get away with it and you know talking like bringing in again bringing it back to race bringing back the racial politics of i'm gonna get dershowitz i'm gonna get cochran to come and like you know he noticed he didn't say kardashian <laughs> like i'm gonna get dershowitz i'm gonna get cochran to come in and and defend me bob dole is going to like basically be on the stand and be my key witness the christian right's gonna pay his like all of this stuff it's right so be- it's like i'm like wow this is so beautifully poignant um it poses i pose this a fun thought experiment to everybody. Could he have just like waited and joined the police academy? (laughs) (laughs) TJ, TJ is dead. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Speaking of death drops. He didn't even have to wait. You don't even need to finish college for that shit, baby. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, he, he goes into like this big whole thing about how I'm like, you've basically just described like cis white patriarchal privilege. Like Mm -hmm. and how none of it is like all of that stuff, like all of it. Yeah, and I'm like, we see it play out. Yeah, and we see it play out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he could have been Kyle Rittenhouse, like you know, like that kind of idea of like all these people that are like, oh, this dude's a hero, and they were raising millions of dollars for him, and he's a martyr of the right Mm -hmm. of you know. And even though, like, I think in the early days, nobody even knew what his political identity was, but. They certainly saw themselves in him very quickly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's very, yeah, that's a very good point, Joe. So what we're saying then, <laughs> like, and what this movie kind of says, right, is that, like, when people talk about, like, the polarized nature of this time, like, yes, we're in it, so we feel that. But, like, this is not a new idea, because here we have clearly in this movie from 1997, that's basically describing how he's going to get away with literal murder of literal black people, of, like, of women, of, like, just, it's, I mean, I, I just, I, I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm just like, wow. Um, and... Again, I still expected uh, Rebecca Gayhart or Portia de Rossi to come out <laughs> and be one of his accomplices because they they were also like they those two were also like like a perfect Greek chorus, no pun intended, because they were just <laughs> because I was like this is this is fantastic. So I, I don't know I, that was just one really cool observation of like yeah he could have just you know he's a sociopath he's a psychopath and uh, but he could have been um, he could have just waited to join the police academy. And Jesus, I wonder if beautiful and terrible. And I wonder if in part, I, I, there's a part of me that wonders whether it was intentional or not. That this also sounds a lot like it is alluding to Dan White and the Twinkie defense in his like murder of Harvey Milk. Mm. Um, 
who, you know, yeah. used, used sort of an inane defense about like, well, this is what made me do it to, in order to justify sort of targeting people who were already sort of being targeted for lots of awful things and didn't need a, didn't need someone with legal access to a gun sort of running around and using it on them. But it's yeah. also, and I, th- I think it reminds me of something, it reminds me to something TJ said sort of at the beginning of our conversation, which is also like, um, are they are they doing this to comment on it intentionally? And if so, are, is it in the right hands to sort of exercise that commentary? Or is it just sort of being like thrown into a blender, thrown into a blender and it's sort of like the happenstance of the commentary comes out because at least according to the internet, this movie was like plagued with production issues and was being rewritten as they were shooting it in part because the studio bought the rights and a pitch for the sequel as they were developing the script for the first one. So, um, which isn't to say that people get off the hook for it, but in fact, like, because it's very possible that a lot of it was applied without intention, that that's where the sort of Mm -hmm. like mishandling of a lot of the analogy and the metaphor sort of falls out when, you know, people just sort of try to throw things in without really careful consideration about like, what are you actually saying about this? Yeah. Yeah. It's very clumsy. And again, I think if they were making this film now, it it would possibly be better. But again, we've definitely seen like when we talked about the remake of black Christmas, where it was like, you know, we're, we're having this conversation about patriarchy. I'm like, no, you're saying that like, there's not this historic systemic issue regarding the patriarchy and like men's creation of it. It's just black goo that makes guys bad. Like this is very, very clumsy. So again, I'm like, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know if this was, made now if, if it would be better or not it's it's hard to say really it would depend on in whose hands it is this was directed by Wes Craven uh, obviously he's somebody who laid the foundation for a lot of the, the films that this skewers that scream skewers and that the rest of the you know um, uh, franchise you know is, is is commenting on so I don't know I don't know how much of like again does he want to be does he want to also be seen as the bad guy either you know so again i think there's a lot of politics and a lot of like stuff at play that um also like you're saying goes into like making the film it's just it's interesting to look at it again uh, you know a decade before the publishing of horror noir and Mm -hmm. almost two decades before like the 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 documentaries come out to even just to have that kind of conversation in a film it was just sort of like wow this is cool like there should be a whole there should be a whole class devoted to this <laughs> like this the analysis of this anybody who wants to hire me to teach uh, of it, race I'm or... happy to do it <laughs> <laughs> well i think we got tanana reeve due and uh you'd, you'd be in good company for the, the people who are teaching um you know uh like horror noir type classes mm. um any other last minute thoughts before we wrap up? Oh my God. This was so much fun. I'm so glad that you all were both available to like attack this film. (laughs) So, I mean, again, I really do want to say that I am of the camp, like many people that I do think this was better than scream. Um, And I think that, and I, and again, I love the, how meta it is like sequels never better than the original, but it's a really tall order to be better than this when they've already broken all of those conventions. Right. But I think that, they do it in new ways and they, they bring all these characters in and it, it had every right to be a movie that was so anticipated that literally James Cameron shifted the date of Titanic coming out by a week. So it didn't conflict with screen, um, which is hilarious for us now. Right. But like the sort of idea yeah. that like 
it was delayed a week. So it came out a week after. So it didn't have the same opening weekend. It's, um, it's, yeah. it's a clever film. There's huge problems with it, obviously, but like it does what it's supposed to do. It continues to send up the movies. It sends up the film make like by making the film within a film. Um, yeah. And it, it is deeply flawed in terms of its use of ironic racism. Right. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it, it opens up the door for so many other things, right? Like we also see blueprints of this in scary movie. Mm-hmm. We see mm-hmm. blueprints of this in not another teen movie, right? Like yeah. the things that get done here in terms of the ability to critique things like that. Um, it's a fun film. And again, shout out to 14 year old TJ Talley, who 100% still has a scream to soundtrack just for <laughs> that collective soul song, which I don't care what any of you say. It's a really fucking good song. No, hey, I love. I actually really enjoyed the soundtrack. I like how it opens up with like, "This could be your lucky day in hell" or whatever. I'm like, yep. "This is delightful." Um, also, uh, totally by accident, I'm wearing an Aliens shirt. So a sequel, they have a whole conversation about aliens, but which I disagree with because I think they're two different films. I'm not, you know, I don't want to argue, but like, Alien and Aliens are both great in their own ways. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I agree. I actually, yeah, I think this is a lot of fun too. Obviously, having the two killers, it's like that. That I think is what makes it just a step below scream for me is because it does repeat some of the beats. Uh, But there is, I think a little bit more of an effort to try to have conversations, even though they're imperfect about, about uh, a film and about horror film that, that does make it again. It's like its own thing. It's its own vibe. Connor, any last thoughts? Uh, Everything that's already been said, it captures a lot of it. Yeah. It's (laughs) I, I, I like it a lot. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I also think it's got some interesting insights to be drawn out about like the role of college movies and the, and what college movies have to say about things. And I'd, I'd love for there to be a movie that is a meta commentary on college movies. Maybe there is one and I just haven't seen it yet, but um, that would also just make my job a lot easier. So maybe I'm just being lazy. Um, uh, But yeah, just, I, I think it's a lot of fun. And I think that to understand it in the context of where we were in 1997, like adds yeah. to what we can pull from it to like understand what it helps True. us understand about the mid to late nineties and what kinds of conversations we were having then. And also to be like, and if we are still talking about that, if we are still talking about it in that way, we would be stuck somewhere that we should not, we should get unstuck from quickly. Right. Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, both of you, for joining us today. We so really appreciate it. Joe, as always, I I love doing this with you. I'm so glad that you thought of, uh, like, doing the the whole screen thing. I hope we get to see it in a theater, but I I highly doubt that. So, the new one, uh, Scream 5, I guess, or just Scream, because that's what we're doing now. And then it'll be Scream Ends, Scream Kills, Scream Resurrections, Can they just make it stab? Because I feel like, once again, if they finally just start making stab, the movie it'll be perfect there we go that yeah that would be that would be perfect so anyways thank you all so much yeah and then someone can hire rob zombie to make scream h2o there we go yes (laughs) oh that's delightful oh my gosh could you imagine uh, no screaming rob zombie (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you all so much and uh good night grito dos School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network.